0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis on all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and uh, we apologise for the lack of pause last week, it was unforeseen circumstances, Uh, Although I can tell you that Duncan was off on one of his butterfly excursions, uh, but he rejoins us today, which is uh, always good news. And it's been quite a momentous uh, few days in terms of the dust finally settling on St. James's Park with the takeover going through. We'll be taking you through each step of how that came about and also giving you news you don't know about what the outlook is in terms of the plans of the consortium who have taken control from Mike Ashley. We also have some news on Manchester United, Cristiano Ronaldo, and uh, also their training methods, as well as an update on Antonio Rudiger's situation at Chelsea. Duncan, we're going to start um, at... As Chris Waddle once said to me quite hilariously, sit at James Park for the older listeners there. And uh, they've got big plans, but they're not necessarily going to be um, rushing into uh, in terms of recruitment of players and uh, and anything else. Obviously, the manager situation is the first one that they want to sort out. And you have information regarding. Uh, Steve Bruce's position and, and indeed his own mood uh, with regards to uh, what his future is, uh, and then we'll also go on to talk about the recruitment of a new sporting director.
1: Yeah, well, this this takeover, of course, is, has taken a, a huge length of time to to happen. Um, legal disputes, arguments over uh, whether the Premier League should stop another nation state from. Uh, taking control of one of the historic assets of English football. Um, They effectively were, as it's been explained to me, moved aside when uh, BN Sports, the Qatari uh, broadcasters, agreed a new contract with the Premier League, um, securing those revenues for the the English top division. Um, Saudi Arabia then backed away from their uh, piracy campaign um against uh, being uh, and uh, assured the premier league and others that they would no longer take away those those commercial rights in one of the key territories in the in the middle east and, and it had an effect on other territories in the middle east and then um, this statement was made by the premier league that uh, that all parties had agreed that settlement is necessary to end the long uncertainty for fans over the club's ownership and and the the handing over of control to an eighty percent led um, Saudi consortium. Uh, that eighty percent being held by the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, a sovereign wealth fund that is chaired by the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. Um, kind of written off by saying the Premier League has now received legally binding assurances that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia will not control Newcastle United Football Club. Um, basically, uh, the because of Saudi Arabia st- stepping away from the, the BN um, dispute over television rights, uh, they were now capable of passing the owners and directors test because the, the fundamental uh, element of of transgression was that they were affecting uh, Premier League contracts and revenue. That was the area where the Premier League could win a legal case. That ended, um, as Amnesty International have, have pointed out just uh, this week, there's no element in the owner-director's test which covers human rights concerns. Amnesty International would like that included in the Premier League uh, um, assessment of what entities are, are suitable owners of clubs, whether that will ever happen is a very open question. But PIF, um, PCP Capital led by Amanda Staveley and the Rubin Brothers, um, the latter two parties having 10% each, now have control of the club. And we're now seeing the plans that have been generated um, by PCP Capital over a four-year period. That's how long this takeover has taken from initial attempt. Um, start to be implemented. We talked about this a lot on the podcast last year uh, and we talked about how you should not expect this to be a replication of Abu Dhabi's purchase of Manchester City Um, and not expect it to be a replication of Roman Abramovich's purchase of Chelsea. Um, This, I'm constantly ensured by the people involved, is meant to be a project which has learned lessons from what happened with those clubs, is very conscious of the potential for being ripped off by players in in the football business market, of buying, recruiting the wrong manager, recruiting, more importantly, the wrong players, of paying too much in commissions for those players, paying salaries at a level which uh, hampers the progress towards a long-term goal. Long-term goal is very ambitious. That is to establish Newcastle United as one of the top clubs in the world. But they say they're not going to do it by throwing lots of money at the transfer market and at coaches in the initial period. Um, What I'm hearing on their on their plans does back that up. In that, one of the priorities is a change of coach. Um, Amanda Staveley and her husband and other members of PCP. Capital met Steve Bruce for the first time on Monday. A year ago, they were talking about retaining Steve Bruce as manager while they they assessed the situation. They've basically come to the conclusion that that is untenable because he is wanted out by the supporters. And they feel Steve Bruce wants out himself, that he's tired of the situation and is amenable to coming to a agreement over his severance which would allow them to change coach. However, there's a a problem here, and it's a problem that is derived from the way in which Mike Ashley hired Bruce, in that he put him on a very unusual contract structure. It was described as an initial three-year contract. It is actually a rolling contract where um, he remains uh, in place essentially indefinitely until he's paid off by the football club. What that allowed Ashley to do was to play, pay Bruce a relatively low salary for a Premier League manager, but have in the contract a, a rescission clause where if, if uh, Bruce was sacked and replaced, he was entitled to uh, a compensation payment of around £8 million. But uh, Ashley obviously did this in the context of, of an expectation that, the club would be sold. The club was on the market at the time. He therefore effectively allowed himself to hire a relatively cheap manager with the cost um, of the contract being laid off on the next owners of the club. Um, And that's what uh, this new consortium has to deal with. Now, in principle, what PCP Capital have to deal with, because PCP Capital have a management contract under the terms of the takeover to run the club. They do that with reference to the other directors and PIF being the the most important um, component of that directorship. PIF will approve all fundamental decisions on club spending, but they need to try and come to an agreement with Bruce over that compensation payment, Um, try and negotiate the amount down at the same time as they look for a new manager. And that search for a new manager is, is, I'm told, a kind of interesting one because they are not necessarily going to appoint the person they think is the candidate to take them where they want to go in English and European football now. What they feel is that the priority for this season, given the position that Newcastle United are in, second bottom of the league, yet to win a match, is to retain their Premier League status. So they want a coach who can come in, immediately deliver results and ensure they stay in the Premier League comfortably this season. And with the view that next season is the one after a a significant summer spend, but not the kind of summer spend that's being uh, talked about. uh, There will not be the very highest names in European football chased by Newcastle United at this stage um, to come in the summer. But after that spend, their target would be to reach European qualification next season. Um, And therefore, they're they're thinking about this managerial appointment as one in which they might take someone who can, in their view, guarantee Premier League survival, but be changed in the summer um, when... When that survival is in place and when they have a better handle on the organization of the club, one of those factors being the sports director that they want to hire.
0: Two problems with that, Duncan, in terms of strategy. One uh, is uh, how do you persuade a head coach to come knowing that the job might only last seven or eight months? Um, and two, selling that to the fans. Because obviously you're not going to get a elite coach to come with a break clause after such a short period of time, Um, albeit that their um, intention is to simply, of course, maintain their Premier League status. Um, It just, it seems problematic to me that that's the kind of um, stance that they may take uh, rather than um, hire a coach and let them bed in. Um, and also, of course, an elite coach will in, in himself attract elite players or, or certainly persuade a better quality of player to join Newcastle United because he is there for the long term. I think
1: it's a flexibility of strategy. I think if they can secure a coach who can do both jobs, i.e. guarantee them Premier League survival and be the person who who is the long-term coach who helps secure those better players, who develops the team into one that plays the style of football they want to play. That's something they're emphasising of great importance and can secure European qualification next season. Then they'll take that individual, but they're not wedded to the idea that they have to find the long-term coach immediately at this moment when... You know they're they're coming in at a difficult time. Ideally, they would have come in with a whole pre-season to work with. This this is uh, the process has accelerated, and in a, in the space of a a couple of weeks, they've gone from not having the club to having the club, and and they have it at a time when they are in relegation danger, albeit end of season they're also coming in and seeing the club and they, they had a lot of research done in Newcastle United and a lot of information about the club but actually getting there on the ground I'm hearing that they're finding that things are worse than they expected them to be and they expected them to be bad the level of, of lack of investment in infrastructure lack of investment in staff both financial and kind of emotional almost a spiritual investment in staff the way uh, people communicated with Um, the full echelon of Newcastle United's employees has been missing. Training ground they're emphasising is something of of vast importance and something that's going to be a bigger project than they expected. So there's lots of stuff to deal with here. You ask about the supporters' reaction. I think that's something they very much have in their advantage and and it's actually a discussion I've had with them and and said, look, you, you have the ability to To make an appointment which is the correct appointment for the club uh short term medium term long term ideally all of those and whoever you appoint the supporters are, are going to accept that because you are the saviors of the club they're fed up with mike ashley they're fed up with the way the club has been run um they believe that this is going to make a fundamental difference to newcastle united therefore they will they will accept the decision that's made over the coach and not criticise in the fashion that any other club would do if if that individual is perceived to not be the ideal appointment. There'll be a degree of trust that these people know what they're doing and have the best interests of the club at heart, that it makes it easier to, to follow that strategy.
0: So let's talk chicken and egg then. And by that, I mean, do you appoint the sport director first and ask him to find the manager? especially as the uh, relationship between the manager and sport director has to be correct? There's got to be synergy. There's got to be a um, unison of uh, philosophy and direction in terms of player recruitment. Or do you trust the people who clearly have no experience in operating in football uh, to appoint a head coach and then... Appoint a sports director afterwards.
1: I, th- I think that's an element in this strategizing over the coach. They see the sports director as being fundamental to the project. They realize that that expertise of the transfer market, um, the the ability to make the most of their resources, which is the other big competitive advantage uh, in, in the, the Premier League. Um, albeit it won't be the level of spending that some people are expecting to be uh, immediately, needs a very skilled practitioner in the transfer market and they need to to bring that person in. Now, again, because this this the takeover has essentially been hurried uh, and rushed through, they now are in a situation where it, it might be difficult to immediately appoint the right sports director and then give him the mandate to appoint the coach. Therefore, if it takes a bit more time to get the right man in, a sports director, you do that. Knowing you have to get a coach in as soon as possible because um, Steve Bruce's continued presence for an extensive period of time is now considered untenable. So you hire a coach um, potentially with that that break clause um and the 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 ability for the sports director to have a a decision as to whether he's the the person to continue with or whether the sports director wants to bring his own man in at a later stage. I think that this is it's basically an expedient approach to the circumstances that they're they're faced with. Um, you talk about elite coaches and and Early on in this process, Antonio Conte was being mentioned as the the principal target for Newcastle United. Um, it, I think this gives you a sense of where they are as a club and that there has been no contact with Antonio Conte. Um, I have that from people close to Conte and from the, the new owner's side. And they do not see Antonio Conte as being the right coach for them at present. That... You know, this is where the project is now. They're very concerned about going through the stages in the correct order and not wasting money and not getting ahead of themselves by saying, uh, we have a sovereign wealth fund that um, has roughly $400 billion of assets at present to the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed. Ben Salman has said wants to increase those assets to 1.1 trillion by 2025. Um, you know, in, in that sense, they they have the richest owners in world football. But in the sense of how much capital is going to be available to Newcastle United, in the immediate future, it's it's not like the Abu Dhabi model. It's not like the Roman Abramovich model. It is not a case of we have lots of money we go in and sign the best coach available on the market. We convince them with our money to come uh, and take charge of players that, frankly, and, and and we're talking about Antonio Conte, he doesn't want to be in charge of, of those players Newcastle United have at the moment. He doesn't want to be in charge of the players that they're capable of buying in January and the summer. His uh, career ambitions at present are to take charge of a club where he can immediately compete for the Champions League. That's not going to happen at Newcastle United for a while, therefore he is off limits to them and they they appear to have the sense to realize we don't go for that cadre of coach and player until we have built the club into the level where it can it can realistically recruit recruit those players and get value from them contrast that with what Abu Dhabi and Manchester City did when they took control uh, and immediately putting an offer in for uh, Kaká, who was perceived to be the best player in, in the world at the time, who was ev- available for the money they were prepared to do, to put down, which had been a world record transfer fee. Milan agreed to do that deal. Kaká said, no, I don't go to Manchester City. I'm not a, I'm not a player who, who goes to that status of the club because it doesn't meet my ambitions. It doesn't uh, meet my sporting goals, so they're not going to waste time with that uh, level or that that those kind of attempts, and they're not going to waste money. They say on um, on doing those kind of deals.
0: Two things that are very interesting, Duncan, uh, in terms of this particular takeover. Uh, One um, is, of course, the controversy over uh, Saudi Arabia's human rights record and uh, the way that they run their nation state um, and the whole issue of sports washing through uh, football. And the second is the fact that uh, what I've been told is that um, the Saudi Investment Fund want to basically deflect any scrutiny from them as effect, as the owners of the club um, because of that uh, controversy. And so in putting Amanda Staveley, who is effectively an upper-class white woman in charge of the club, uh, you couldn't really get any further away from uh, the two polar opposites in terms of the titular leader of the club, But, and then the actual owners of the club as well. It seems quite clever in some ways. um, But I'm also conscious that because of the uh, intense competitiveness of the governments and the royal families in the Middle East, and I mean uh, Abu Dhabi in charge of City and uh, Qatar in charge of PSG, Saudi Arabia, when they did decide to plunge into the same market, if you like, of European football, um, chose Newcastle United.
1: They... The, yes, there's a question of whether they could have gone for Manchester United or Tottenham Hotspur. They would have been more expensive, considerably more expensive acquisitions. This was a £305 million uh, acquisition cost to um, PIF, PCP and, and the Rubin brothers. Um, All through this process, the thing that has been emphasized to me is that PIF are very careful about how they spend their money, that um, they are filled with a range of uh, investment bankers and uh, financial specialists who've been recruited from around the world whose job it is to increase the value of that fund. And they um, are not handing over a large wad of capital to PCP to spend as they feel um is is the best way to spend. Everything of significance will be monitored by PIF to see if it will uh give them a good return on the asset. Um so yeah, it is it's gonna be very interesting to watch how Amanda Staveley and Co. run this club. And I think you're right to emphasize that um Although Amanda Staveley was involved in the, in the sale of Manchester City to Abu Dhabi, um, she hasn't run a club before. So this is, this is new terrain for, for the people involved. And I think that's why they, they are taking the sports director appointment, um, while they, why they will take time to get the right chief executive in to the club. So seriously, um, it, they have a management contract. Um, That management contract, I'm told, will only be retained as long as they are doing a a job that satisfies PIF. So they they are also under pressure to get things right in order to retain their position of of partial control of the football club. Um, The controversy over the purchase, that is not going to go away um i think the uh, the the arguments about sports washing are are important and they've been well articulated um there's been uh some discussion uh recently about how sports washing isn't just about the status of the country and and its public image something that um which Abu Dhabi have greatly benefited from from, from owning Manchester City, which Qatar have, have benefited from by owning Paris Saint-Germain, by being the host nation of the World Cup, the amount of publicity, the positive publicity that generates for them. there is negative elements to it, but the, the, the amount of positive publicity outweighs the, the negative side. Um, there is also degrees of political control and political influence in a city. Um, which we've seen with Abu Dhabi um and the way that they have been able to get involved in in investment in property areas within Manchester which are controversial some people will say it's it's upgraded manchester others will say that um those they've been allowed to build properties with a high degree of um luxury um tenancy that would not have been permitted to other um individuals trying to to uh put in property investments in place in manchester and they've done that because they have buy-in from the 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 city council um i think you probably see a, a similar process uh, happening in newcastle we've seen the the senior uh, council leaders in newcastle welcoming the takeover um, the Reuben brothers are interested in, in property development in the city. That That is an element of this takeover. There's dimensions beyond the football club. Um, and we do have another nation state. That's, this is now the third nation state in charge of a major um, European historic football club. Um, I think it's very hard to argue that Qatar and, and Abu Dhabi's control of Manchester City and PSG have been for the overall good of the game. Um, they unbalance the the transfer market, they unbalance contract markets, they unbalance uh, domestic leagues because they do not operate. Those two particular purchases do not operate on the basis of, uh, we have to break even or we have to turn a profit. Um, we have to get external sponsors external to our state to provide the, the the capital in order to fund the clubs. We do what's required to put money into those clubs to ensure that they win their domestic leagues and we aim to win uh, the Champions League. It's unclear at this stage to what extent PIF will go down that line. I mean, they are very much talking about doing it on a careful basis talking about not being caught out by agents but on the by the same token there is i think a, a desire longer term to to do what manchester city did to do what abu dhabi did but do it better uh, and for sure the resources are there should saudi arabia should pipe pif decide the time is right to put them into the club in order to eventually get themselves in a position where they can hire the best coach in the world and they can hire the best players in the world and they can outpay the majority of their rivals if they get the structure right and they do it in the right way that the financial resource is ultimately there and and that's why i think the the you know the complaints about the influence of of nation states coming into top level european football are justified although there is an element, I think, and I think you can talk about this, Ian, where there's a feeling within certain Premier League clubs that that has been over-egged because actually what the owners of, of those Premier League clubs who have objected to the Saudi takeover of Newcastle United are worried about is the competition, not not the ethics of having a, a, a nation state and a sports washing organisation in charge of another one of their clubs.
0: That's certainly the case, Duncan. Um, I've spoken to uh, three different uh, leaders of Premier League clubs, um, if you like, chairman and or chief executives, and each of them has been very frank off the record by saying that, look, this does not suit us because the competition bar has been raised again by a club which does not have to consider themselves uh, or worry themselves over financial sustainability because there is so much resource behind them. And that's not good for us or anyone else in the Premier League who's not nation state owned or has the facility of credit lines or wealth to compete at the highest level. Um, That does, as you said, unbalance Uh, The uh, contracts that they can offer The transfer fees that they can spend And uh, they're worried about the fact that they've got another rival Who traditionally in the last 10 years certainly Has not been a challenger for a Premier League title Or even a, a domestic cup Suddenly being potentially flooded with money that they can spend uh to improve their club now some people would argue that well that's just the the marketplace that's that's how things happen uh in any business um when you get a new owner and they have the resources to invest but um in football of course there is a division between uh or sorry, difference, not division, between the business side of things and the sporting side of things. Uh, Obviously, the two are connected, but uh, that imbalance that you talked about is definitely there. So resistance to this takeover from other Premier League stakeholders was based uh, off the record on that fear, and on the record they used sports washing argument and uh, ethical argument uh, so they, they didn't look like they were complaining just for the sake of complaining um, uh, about the fact that they were being threatened by yet another huge investment in a football club, which they couldn't compete with. So that's where they are. Um,
1: we, we should also mention the role of the, the UK government here um, in that the foreign office held meetings with the premier league last year when when the 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 takeover was placed in jeopardy Um, the bbc asked for a disclosure of the the contents of of those meetings which um, the uk government has allowed in a partial redacted form but and the the bits that they've allowed to be read have include statements such as the disclosure of information detailing our relationship with the Saudi government could potentially damage the bilateral relationship between the UK and Saudi Arabia, which would not be in the public interest. You can take from that, that um, what the UK government was more worried about than sport and the competitive balance of the Premier League was its uh, strategic and commercial relationship with Saudi Arabia. Um, which involves, uh, among other things, uh, a a huge amount of arms dealing to Saudi Arabia. Uh, And that was something that could be used by leverage from the Saudi Arabia state to work on the UK government to put pressure on the Premier League to stop blocking um, this deal so that there is a far bigger game in play uh, and it tends to come down to money, influence, and power rather than than uh, sporting ideals.
0: Certainly the case with the arms dealing. Um, Saudi Arabia is one of the biggest uh, buyers of uh, UK arms goods um, in the world. And yes, I think you're right, Duncan, there is definitely uh, other forces at work um, other than just the uh, ethical, moral and sporting questions that have been asked about this. But um, I do think and it has been said by one uh, club Premier League club owner to me that um, he feels that there is a hypocrisy about um, people complaining uh, about Saudi Arabia getting involved in the Premier League when Abu Dhabi has been involved. Uh, and established Manchester City as the uh, dominant club of the past five years in this country. So uh, it's it's a, it's a bit of a minefield, really, and it's not just a moral minefield. It's a, it's a sporting minefield as well. But um, it will be uh, very interesting to see how it plays out. In the very short term, We do expect Steve Bruce to leave his post, as Duncan has uh, outlined with regards to even his own attitude. There is a negotiation over the compensation um, on that £8 million payoff, with Newcastle United trying to uh, basically bargain down uh, to around 70% of that fee. Bruce saying, no, that's what I'm owed, uh, and so that's what should be paid. And therefore, that's why he's been taking training for the last five days, even though the takeover has gone through.
1: Just to add in on on the subject of sports directors and the importance of that appointment to the new owners, I can tell you that one of the individuals they're looking at as a potential candidate is... Luis Campos, um, listeners to this podcast will know a lot about Campos and his record at Lille, Monaco, winning the French League titles with both of those teams um, and the quality of his recruitment there. You can see the fit to the model, as we've described, um, Newcastle United under the PIF want to implement getting the best value from the market. My understanding is there was initial contact between um, the buying party and Campush during the period where they thought they had an agreement with Ashley. Uh, Well, they did have an agreement with Ashley last year and expected the Premier League to approve. Um, So this is a a long-standing interest. Um, Campush is currently available as a free agent having um, concluded his uh, contract with Leo some time ago um, so there is an opportunity there um, if they can persuade Campush that he that it's the best job for him to take and if they decide he is the the best candidate amongst others who would be interested in taking that position
0: his record is um quite uh, remarkable in terms of the money that he has generated uh, for his employers in terms of recruitment and sales. So I suspect that uh, in Newcastle's attempts to get the recruitment just right in this new era of the takeover, then Luj Campos is definitely got to be a very serious candidate.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's if you're pursuing the model they're pursuing, which is um, you're not going to throw this money at the top end of the market, then you need to identify talents that others have missed out on, and it can be accessed as value buys, and that's exactly what he was doing at Monaco, and Leo. So, so there's a natural fit there.
0: So, uh, Kylian Mbappe gets the number nine jersey at Newcastle United. I'm sure Alan Shearer will be pleased. Uh, (laughs) Given the Luge Campos brought him through at Monaco and then, of course, uh, sold uh, the player to Paris Saint-Germain. And he's probably now the most valuable footballer in the world. Um, Don't count on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, maybe not. Um, One of the things that uh, has been a constant thorn in the side... For Newcastle United is attracting players to the northeast of England. And um, it will be interesting uh, to see how the new owners uh, deal with that, um, as well as the fact that, of course, they're taking over a club who are currently in a relegation position. Um, obviously, that's something they want to resolve primarily in order to make it an attractive option. But you're right, Duncan, in terms of they won't be pursuing uh, Kelly and Mbappe, unfortunately, uh, which is a shame for English football and, of course, for the Geordie faithful. Another club who uh, seem to be constantly questioned about their finances as Manchester United. But I'm pleased to say, Duncan, that we're going to talk about Manchester United and football today. And in particular, a rather curious incident regarding Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes over the taking of a penalty.
1: Yeah, this is the the, the penalty in the Aston Villa match, um, which gave Manchester United the opportunity to, to draw a game. Um, which they uh, looked like they were going to lose to an Aston Villa side that had um, tactically bested them and, and probably bested them in a football sense during the game. Um, Bruno Fernandes obviously took that penalty. We had a, um, a, a very interesting uh, interaction between uh, the Aston Villa goalkeeper, uh, the penalty kick specialist, Emiliano Martinez, and... Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo. And one of the things that, uh, that the goalkeeper used to to try and put Bruno Fernandes off was to, to say to Cristiano Ronaldo, you should be taking this penalty. And it turns out he was right. Um, uh, information I have is that going into that game against Aston Villa, um, Cristiano Ronaldo was the de- designated penalty kick taker for Manchester United. He should have taken... Uh, the penalty at, at, the, at the, that key moment in the game but instead bruno fernandes uh, took it on himself to to take it and ultimately miss it and i think from that information you can probably see why he made um, such a uh, an act of uh, of apology in a in putting out a seven paragraph social media um mea culpa over uh, over that miss um quite a lot of people criticized him for going too far in uh in apologizing or feeling the need to apologize for missing um and amongst what he said was the the most important thing for me is to win together and I'll always do everything I can to help my teammates and the club to be the best we can be um it's one example of how things are not going to plan um Following the the huge spend Manchester United made in the summer window, bringing Jadon Sancho in, who who has struggled so far, um, bringing Rafael Varane in, um, world class central defender that that Solskjaer wanted to add to what was already one of the most expensive defenses in in world football, and then also adding. Cristiano Ronaldo is the idea being he would be the the striker who would provide the goals that would turn them from a club that hadn't seriously competed for the Premier League title and certainly not for Champions League title into one that, that could go to those levels again. Um, the results have been poor. Uh, it, they've extended what was already a bad run for Solskjaer's team. They're now um, eight wins and one just one clean sheet in the last 18 matches, um, lost to young boys in the Champions League. Uh, a fortunate win at West Ham after West Ham missed the last minute penalty, then lose at home to West Ham United, losing at home to Aston Villa. Very fortunate win over Villarreal, even Solskjaer himself saying it, they, they'd been lucky in that match. And then the the draw at home to Everton, there are significant problems in the camp. And um, it's going to be interesting to see whether Solskjaer can do what he's always managed to do before during his, his period in charge of Manchester United, almost three years now, which is when the results go badly, he's managed to deliver a result or a couple of results in games against sides where he was not expected to win and and done enough to to change the uh the image around uh, his his uh, management of the team uh and sustain what has been um what is now the longest uh, run without a trophy um that Manchester United have experienced for over 3 decades um he certainly has the resources available to him to demonstrate that He's capable of of changing things and uh, demonstrate that he's a manager who can win silverware, and, and that I think focuses uh, and make it makes it harder for him um, to get away with substandard management that I think he has got away with through his uh, his period as in charge of Manchester United.
0: Hey. Uh... Quick update on a story that we have been uh, keeping you abreast of uh, over the last few weeks, and that is the future of Antonio Rudiger at Chelsea, a player who is out of contract, uh, like many, actually, uh, next summer, um, and has the opportunity to sign a pre-contact agreement with a club outside of England should he choose to do so. Uh, it is our information that Rudiger has instructed his representatives to uh, stall or indeed uh, not participate any longer in negotiations with Chelsea, despite the fact that uh, it is his preferred choice to stay at Stamford Bridge. And that's because he has interest from both Madrid clubs, Atleti, and uh, also Real Madrid, and also Barcelona. Uh, And Rudiger is tempted by the prospect of moving to La Liga. However, as we have told you before, he would prefer to stay in the Premier League and at Chelsea. But the offer of a contract worth around £120,000 a week on his current deal is not something that he is considering to be his value. And therefore, uh, he is looking at his other options. It's a little bit of a game of brinksmanship, Duncan, uh, for Rüdiger um, because clearly uh, the club, as in Chelsea, believe that he wants to stay um, and therefore think that they can get a contract over the line for him, um, whereas Rüdiger himself wants to maximise his value and his, and his potential uh, earning capacity uh, to stay Uh, So I think this one will run for a bit And obviously there is that that sort of Damocles over the head of Chelsea With regards to him being able to uh, sign a pre-contract With another club in January uh, Only a matter of three months away Priority for us right now, Duncan Is to select our hero and villain Of the last few days in cross football I will um, invite you to give us uh, your hero before I nominate my villain. Uh, Hero of
1: the week, Thibaut Courtois, um, for what he said after um, playing for Belgium in the UEFA Nations League third place playoff. Um, Extremely critical of that competition, but more critical of the uh, increasing number of international tournaments that are being placed upon top um, performers in football and uh, critical of the idea that FIFA are proposing of a, of a biennial World Cup. The idea that would go along with that if FIFA get their way, that you'd then have a biennial European Championship. And as Courtois said, when will we ever get a holiday? Uh, when do we ever get a break? When do we get, have the chance to recover? Um He is demonstrating what a lot of top footballers think, which is the demands of the game in terms of calendar are already extremely high. Um, Turning the World Cup and the European Championship or South American Championship into, into biennial events is going to make it even harder for these players to perform at the highest level. And we have to ask
0: questions about what that does to the quality of the sport. I don't have any issue with Courtois, his specific complaint about um, being forced to play a third place playoff match, which, you know, as we know, um, footballers uh, in general, uh, when it comes to the World Cup and European Championships, feels a complete waste of time because what's the point of playing for a third place uh, one more game? Uh, extra time spent in the tournament uh, as it were and away from their clubs and families but I don't think we'd have heard Courtois complaining if they'd actually won the Nation League so there is a bit of a um, contrasting opinion with regards to um, what happens uh, in those situations however I think, generally speaking, uh, players of that uh, level will agree with Courtois with regards to um, when they break. Um, villain this week, Duncan, it's, good. it's a little bit complex, this one. <laughs> I'm going to name two villains involved in the same uh, circumstance, and that is... Uh, when Manchester United uh, his left back Luke Shaw uh, playing for England against Hungary and Loic Nego uh, seemed to have certainly minimal contact Shaw cleared uh, a cross ball and uh, his boot was high certainly but Shaw later claimed that uh, Loic Nego said that he had made no contact with him Even though, uh, and I'm going to use Shaw's, his exact own words now It looked like he wasn't even going for the ball I think he was just knew my foot was a bit high So he just dived at my foot and rolled around like he had been shot um, That's what happens with refs They see him roll around holding his head And of course he's going to give a penalty I think especially in games like this, the ref needs to maybe leave it, go to VAR and take a proper look. So, uh, basically Shaw is a villain for uh, having raised his boot high. Loic Nego is probably a villain for making more of the tackle than is correct. Now, before I uh, finish this one up, I have to say there is a second or even third villain in this week's podcast, and that villain is Mike Ashley, who reportedly, uh, having just made a profit of £98 million pounds on his investment in Newcastle United when he sold to the Saudi consortium uh, Takeover, uh, went out for a celebration uh, with some friends at the King's Head pub in Soho and tipped a barmaid a whole £5 for her work over the course of the evening. So, uh, Mike Ashley, you share the Villain Award for the Transfer Window podcast this week. We will be back later uh, in this week as well uh, to make up for our absence last week, of course. Uh, Please engage with us on our social media platforms. We are at TransferPodcast.com. On Instagram, Facebook and on Twitter. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ on Twitter. And of course, you can find us on YouTube. Just search transfer window podcast. That's it for today's pod. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and be well.